0: Hello, folks. Welcome to the Solar Fit Redewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher back again with you today. What a beautiful day. We're coming uh, into the month of February, and it's absolutely beautiful out. Snowbird conditions, blue sky, light winds. Beautiful, beautiful day here in Daytona Beach. Uh, I want to give a, sh- a shout-out to our friends at Daytona Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram for their loyal support, particularly to our driver, Mr. Daniel Dye, who, uh, if you listen in frequently, you'll know that he's driving full-time in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series starting at about two and a half weeks can't wait and he's also driving 10 select races uh in the xfinity series so we're all geared up ready to go can't wait to, uh, to see him and if you haven't already uh, seen you can you can get some of his die cast trucks we actually have one right here that i'm looking at it's uh i think 125th scale and it's absolutely awesome so if anybody wants one give us a call here at, the, uh, at our daytona studio and we'll see if we can hook you up anyway i got a very special guest a friend of mine now that i just met last week Really cool guy. His name is Mr. Gary Holmes, and Gary is the owner of Sanford Homebrew. Gary, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate you uh, giving me a call and being on the show.
0: Well, I I have to tell you, folks. Uh, you know, we're all about renewable energy, and there's nothing more renewable than homebrew beer. And Gary, I've never meet, met a man that knows more about it than than Gary. And I got a thousand <laughs> different questions. Um, I I happened to stop by his location over in Sanford the other day, uh, just by happenstance. we were having an event over there; it was kind of fun. And I poked my head inside and. Uh, gosh I, I I met a great guy. His name is Gary Holmes. Gary, uh take us from the the beginning uh wh- Where did you grow up?
1: so uh, I grew up mostly in Ormond Beach, Florida, and Alton, Illinois. Uh, I spent a lot of time in a lot of other states, but those were the two places where you know I, I remember the most uh, out of growing up and uh, you know my formative snotty years and then my uh, teen years and adult years uh, so I wound up in Florida in 1986, and I've been here ever since.
0: Gosh, you talk about your growing up snotty years. Now, <laughs> what year for that? Was that like six to eleven?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was six to eleven, and that uh, that took place in uh,
0: Alden, Illinois. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm sure you're glad to be down here. It's, it's colder than a shot of a gun up there. It is. It is. We're so lucky here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, we, we are. So, so you you came to Ormond Beach. Where'd you live in Ormond? Beachside? Or?
1: Uh, my, yeah, beachside. My family still lives in Ormond-by-the-Sea, my uh, mother and father. Um, that was where I grew up. I attended uh, Seabreeze High School and uh, graduated from there. But uh, Ormond-by-the-Sea was where my, my stomping grounds were.
0: All right, so you're a homegrown, homebrew, Kind of guy, entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. We're so we're so glad that you came on with us, Gary. So I know at some point that you entered the military. Talk about that a little bit.
1: So, um, actually, I was a. I didn't uh, join the military directly. I was a civilian hand-to-hand combat instructor.
0: Holy mackerel!
1: So, uh, and that was um, with the Marines, Camp Lejeune, um, back in 1992, 93. Um, and I, I just served a short stint there as a, a civilian hand-to-hand combat instructor.
0: That is incredible. Hey, congratulations on that. do you ever know a fellow named Mike Foster by any chance?
1: It does not ring a bell. I'm sorry.
0: So Mike Foster uh, has since passed away, but he was one of my martial arts instructors, and what a mountain of a man. He was Six foot five inches tall, and uh, he trained in Japan, came over here, and uh, started Yoshikai karate and oh, okay. had a had a huge following uh yeah you know, we used to do a uh, full contact uh karate matches back in the day probably back in the days you're talking about maybe a little bit before that but uh he is somebody good friends with uh with chuck norris and all those guys and um just really miss the man but anyway that's uh that's a conversation i guess for another time for you and i over one of your beautiful home brews but uh what an awesome yeah, deal so how did they select you out of all the thousands of Marines and Army and, and SEALs? How did you get to, to do that stint?
1: Um, I had uh, studied uh, a number of different disciplines, uh, Mudaquan and Judaquan style, Taekwondo, Tung Sido, Hapkido, uh, Prangmana style, Kung Fu, uh, Jiu-Jitsu. And um, I had a friend of mine that was in the Marines that had recommended me and so i I went and did a tryout, and they they selected me from there. It was a pretty straightforward process i was I was kind of blown away with how quick that process happened.
0: Oh, well, that is so cool. Uh, my brother, who was in the Marines, at Camp Lejeune and uh, Paris Island and all those places, so Semper five for sure man, that is awesome so So what happened then How did you get down here and start your business
1: so um As all good ideas happen, it happened over a beer in a dark alley. Uh, I was having a beer with uh, uh, the patriarch of the Hollerbach family um, in Sanford, Florida in 2000. I think that was 2010 that we had the beer. Uh, It was a homebrew beer that I'd made my business and brewing partner, Aaron Libera. And uh, Theo is uh, German and he loved the style of beer that we've made. Uh, and he loved the quality of it, and he had just asked us where we got our ingredients and our equipment from. And we commented to him that we mostly bought it online because at that point there wasn't a shop or a store that had the fresh ingredients and great advice we were looking for. There was a shop in South Daytona for a while. That kind of fell through. Uh, there were some health problems, and they had to close the shop, which I'm very sorry about. So... He invited us to open up our own shop in his Magnolia Square Deli, which is now Hollerbox German Market in downtown Sanford. At the time, I was a bar manager of Hollerbox German Restaurant, and Aaron was looking for a job. So uh, Theo gave him a job at the deli, and we started up a business inside the deli as like a department in a department store. And that's kind of where it came about, and it was like a year-long journey where we worked our regular 40-hour to 60-hour jobs, and then we ran a small business on the side. Um, And a lot of homebrew shops get started that way as like a department in a hardware store or something like that, Uh, and then they grow out of it, and that's kind of what we did. Within a year's time, we had been big enough to sustain a business and um, set it in in a location very close to where we used to be.
0: Well, Hollenbeck is a very famous name over there. I think they own about a whole block, don't they?
1: Um, they own uh, several properties, yes, and uh, they uh, laughingly refer to it as Holler Block um, because uh, between First Street and uh, Second on Magnolia, they own uh, several properties, um, and they have several businesses that are all thriving in that location. Well, the and is- they actually came to Sanford in two thousand one and started. Uh, that off, so they've been there for like uh twenty two to yeah twenty two years now almost twenty three years at this point.
0: well, they have great beers, but they also have excellent food if you anyone's over in that area, just stop in and say hi and let them know that you you heard Gary Holmes on the radio <laughs> they'll know for sure <laughs> hey, I got a question for you. I got a lot of questions about sure. beer in general. Beer gets yeah. kind of a maligned name uh, i I don't know maybe it's some of the old movies and stuff, but I can remember, gosh, I don't know what year it was, but uh, there were some folks over in Germany that wanted to bring some solar products here to the United States. So I went over there uh, to kind of help them. I uh, didn't realize that, that there was no one there but the tr- the uh, translator to speak, so it was a rough week. But I remember going to this one place over there. Uh, it was B-A-M. I think it was pronounced B-I-M. And the thing that astounded <clears throat> me was there, there were cases and cases of beer on the floor, and the workers could go and drink this beer while they worked. And I thought that was the craziest thing I've ever heard of. But it's different. There's something different. Talk about that.
1: Um, the beer culture is very much different over there. And uh, they allow people to take beer home. There's some American companies that do this now, too. But they allow like, two beer lunches. Um, They're given an opportunity to have, you know, their beer lunches in a beer garden on property at the brewery. They have excellent food there so the the workers don't have to go anywhere for food or beer. And uh, it's just a different kind of beer culture. I mean, they don't overindulge. They have their couple of beers. They eat food and they go back to work and they can confidently do that. Uh, They don't have a stigmatism about it as we do have over here. Um, and it just it it really enriches the the, the culture of both the, the beer drinkers, uh, the beer producers, the beer suppliers, um, along with, uh, you know, workers rights and allowing them to do things that uh, we see as, as being detrimental to the workplace here that, you know, I kind of don't necessarily agree with because I do indulge in a beer or two. I think when you were there, I was having a beer. Um, and you know, I have my two beers and I, I'm, I'm done. Uh, you know, so I, I, I don't think it's a detriment to the workplace. I think you, you can do something like that, you know, have a relaxing lunch, go back to work and, uh, you know, continue with your day as long as you don't overindulge and their alcohol percentages are less than, uh, what people normally think they're less than 5% most of the time.
0: So that's probably that's probably the issue because I noticed that it that it tasted different and it did not seem to be as intoxicating as some of the ones over here. But I don't know. All I could think of is you know somebody having cases of beer at General Motors and you go to build a Chevy and it comes out of Honda. You know, I just <laughs> I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't, at the time. I didn't think that'd work here. But there are some amazing health benefits to it too. That you can you you are an expert. Talk about that.
1: So, um, beer is naturally acidic, so it uh, helps digestion um, to a certain degree. And yeast itself, which is present in all beers, um, unless it's very, very, very heavily filtered, has probiotic effects. Um, It is a natural B vitamin source. Uh, The yeast actually helps with hangovers. um, And it's bioavailable, so it absorbs easier in its natural form. Um, than uh, some other sources. So beer is also a uh, very big um, very big component of it is fiber. So it helps keep you regular. So some people will notice that after a night of binge shrinking. The next day, some things don't go very right. That's because there's an incredible amount of fiber in the beer as well because that comes through the fermentation process uh, as far as the grains go. Because grains themselves are a great fiber uh, source, um, and source of you know macro and micronutrients.
0: You know, I think I was like most people, completely ignorant of, of the ingredients that were in beer. I just thought, well, geez, you just pour the beer. I had no, there is such an art to this, and you know, I've met a lot of different people, and you and I have mutual friends that are in the brewery business, and uh, man, I mean, just there's an untold number of beers and everyone has a different uh, formula. How do you figure out the formula?
1: That comes with experience and from experimentation and basically just a knowledge of the ingredients themselves. Like I I would also say just back on the nutritional value of beer, hops are antimicrobial. Um, So they help ward off uh, some, you know, uh, some illnesses. Um, But it's just, Knowing what each malt does and what it contributes, both the color, the flavor, um, and the general, uh, what we call friability or availability of sugars to ferment into alcohol. Knowing those individual ingredients, uh, you can put together your recipes. And there's, there's very much a few standard texts out there that will tell you, like, how to base your beers off of. But at the end of the day, It comes down to your experience with those ingredients, and there's no better way to get experience with ingredients than visiting a homebrew shop, because we have all of the ingredients available for you to smell, taste, touch, um, and uh, get familiar with. Whereas like a standard brewery usually has about nine different grains. We've got over 60 varieties of malted barley. So you can really get more familiar with uh, what each ingredient does, what it contributes, and how it, uh, you know, reacts to other ingredients and in fermentation. And that's really what it comes down to. It's experience and, and really like uh, tapping into the community of beer, uh, beer brewers, whether the homebrew level or professional level, and asking questions and figuring out like what's right for you.
0: Well, there's a lot of science that goes along to it. And another thing I never could figure out is where do you come up with these names? you got the coolest name for a beer. What do you do, kind of sit around having a beer and think, hey, we'll call this a so-and-so? How do you do that? That's
1: exactly what it is. We have a beer. We drink it. We discuss it. We come up with pop references or, you know, we we kick the idea around. um, And we, uh, you know, try to come up with the best one based on that beer and that conversation. And it's... It's, a, it's an amazingly straightforward uh, process because we've got some great people that work with us, um, and they've got great imaginations, and that, that kind of helps us.
0: Okay, i got an idea for a name of a beer. Solar Fit mm-hmm. Beer. The Solar Fit Sun Beer. I think that would be great. What do you think?
1: Solar Fit Sun Beer. You could, uh, I mean, to, to the, immediate rea- <laughs> the immediate reaction I get from that is like a pale lager.
0: Oh, boy, I always think of more of about a, about a dark Bach beer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, um, listen, we're kind of taking a short break, Gary. But listen, folks, stay with us. We'll get back. I'm going to pick Gary's brain. I'm not, not getting to the CIA level, but I'm going to figure out what's in these beers. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If somebody knocks on your door or a telemarketer's on your phone, you know it's not us. Hi, folks. This is Bill Gallagher with SolarFit. If you've been thinking about solar, we want you to knock on our door or call us. SolarFit's been a part of this community for over 47 years, and our customers love us. Couldn't say it if it wasn't true. Now's the time to go solar for your home or business. Give us a call at 445-7606. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher with my friend Gary Holmes, entrepreneur extraordinaire out of Sanford, Florida, owner of Sanford Homebrew, which I, uh, a- I actually visited last week just to make sure that the uh, ingredients were safe for those people over by Orlando. Gary, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. I actually gave you an A plus on everything. There was one dark beer that you let me try. What, what the heck was the name of that?
1: That was the Bourbon County Stout.
0: That was it, Bourbon County Stout. Gosh darn, that was good. I don't know what you put in there, but it it had a, it was somewhere in between coffee, molasses. I, I don't know, but uh, I felt instantly healthy.
1: It, <laughs> it was uh, it, it's it's quite a whopper of a beer. It's got a lot of dark malts in it, which give it that coffee, chocolate, uh, nutty, and um, and like caramelly flavors to it. Um, so that's just uh, again. That's just going back to knowing what the ingredients do, what they're going to contribute, um, and fine tuning it to the point where you can get as much alcohol as we get out of it um, without sacrificing flavor um, and sacrificing like what we call heat. So some beers at that, that percentage are really hot, and when I say that, I mean as you. As you drink them, you get an alcohol burn um, in your chest and later in your stomach. And those are fusel alcohols, higher alcohols, which nobody needs to be concerned with, except that age and temperament of yeast kind of bring that down so that it's uh, practically imperceptible, so that people can't don't experience that heat burn from an, a high ABV beer.
0: Well, let me tell you, folks, it was good. If you have a chance, please try it out. Hey, you know what, Gary, I often think of, too, when I see home breweries, it reminds me of the days how NASCAR got started up in the Carolinas with the, the moonshiners and stuff like that, and they're coming to town here. I think you heard me speak about the Daytona 500 and stuff. That's yep. still a legacy that will, will never go away. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: About the, the, the legacy of homebrew or the legacy of...
0: Well, kind of the, the, I... the whole the the, whole the moonshine and stuff. Like the guys up in the hills and they, they've got their oh. stills and stuff, and the prohibition and all that.
1: Well, after prohibition, for a short period of time, it, it became legal for you to make, um, to make liquor again. It was, it was actually it was legal for you to make wine. It was legal for you to make liquor at home. Uh, it was illegal for you to make beer, which made no sense. So um once the government figured out that there's there's a twofold process and it really depends on who you want to listen to but the, um there's there was for a period of time a higher tax rate on um liquor than there was on beer. So the government figured out two stages of the process. One that people were not doing it correctly and they were hurting themselves. So it was a public safety issue reportedly. And the second thing is that they weren't paying taxes on what they were making. So distilling is an incredibly intensive process where you're taking a large amount of liquid and reducing it to a very small amount of liquid. Um, And that increases the alcohol volume by doing that. So it also strips away a lot of the yeast characteristics um, and um, strips away some of the flavor from the, the beginning product to the end product. So beer and liquor start out the same way. You do a mash. Um, you're basically mashing uh, grains and water at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time to convert starches into sugars, uh, exposing them to enzymes that create those sugars that are bioavailable for the yeast. Then in distillation, you take that a couple of steps further and you actually, you know, put it through distillation, which is uh, reducing. Uh, the liquid by volume uh, in the uh, by uh, by steam methods by uh, making the liquid into steam and then recondensing the steam into liquid. So it gets it gets a little bit complicated as to like when you when you're actually when you're actually getting the the liquid that is good for you as opposed to the liquid that is bad for you. So originally that was what the government was concerned with. Um, but there are still distillers to this day on a homebrew level that continue to do it even though it's not necessarily legal. Um, and some some producers of illegal liquors eventually go legal and they get their production facility, they get their licensure, they get all that, and they start producing on a legal basis. So I think still homebrewing begots Professional brewing, whether it's wine, whether it's mead, whether it's beer, whether it's liquor, you know, it's the hobbyists that drive the industry.
0: So is is it hard to get licensed for something like this? I know it's hard to get a a liquor license. Is it hard to get a beer license?
1: It's difficult to get a beer license. It's become easier in the past five years. They've streamlined the process a little bit, but it's still an involved process. You've got to have a building or a lease and you've got to have a lot of plans that you submit before they'll even remotely consider you for a license. They have started giving um, liquor-producing licenses, not liquor-selling licenses. That's a completely different thing. But liquor-producing licenses have come down recently, especially in the state of Florida, um, where they're not as difficult to obtain and they're not as expensive to obtain anymore. So they're trying to... Uh, the The liquor the liquor producing industry is on the verge of exploding in Florida because of the reduction in the price and in the process of getting them. Um, But it's still, it's still not easy. You still have to have a place. You still have to have uh, a facility that is inspected um, and all of the things inherent with getting that, that original license. Then you've got the liquor selling license. Most liquor producing companies don't sell it directly to the public. They'll sell to a distributor because that liquor license to sell to the public is massively expensive.
0: That's what I heard. So when you're starting out, say you're you're a homebrew guy or gal, and uh, and you want to expand, kind of at a slow rate, what would be a good size amount of beer to produce, say in a day? How many gallons or whatever?
1: So, for to do it professionally. Uh, We always recommend that against the grain because we do something different. Um, We recommend a three-barrel system, which is uh, three barrels is basically six full kegs of beer, Um, and each keg of beer is around 33 gallons. So uh, you're looking at like producing around 100 gallons um, or more uh, a day in order to remain somewhat profitable. Um, Three barrel system is good if you're selling it directly to consumers. We recommend usually a seven barrel or a 10 barrel system if you're dealing with distribution, and that's going to restaurants and other bars other than yourself. So that uh, gets into the hundreds of gallons and you've basically got a turn on the system every day that you brew and you're looking to get, like, two or three turns a week in order to keep up with production just for selling to uh, directly to consumers, uh, you're looking at, like, three to five uh, turns on the system um, every week to sell to dis- distribution. So it gets to be a lot of work, yes.
0: Well, there's no doubt. I I, I really am impressed by what you're doing there because, you know, I can see what would happen is I, I tell five of my friends... You know what a great product to have. Next thing you know, they all come in and order beer. Now you got to purchase more equipment. Then you got to back charge me for telling people how great you are.
1: <laughs> we try to keep that. We we try to keep that to an absolute minimum. <laughs> Growth and expansion, I don't think should ever be at the behest of the consumer.
0: No, 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 for sure. But but it is. It is uh, kind of. It's kind of mm-hmm. on demand. Like if you have something that's really, really good, everybody's going to say something about it. You're going to have more consumers. And uh, who was the gal that was out front? Um, gosh, by the, on the table there, Missy. What was her name? Missy. That's right, Missy. What a great gal she was. Boy, she stirred us right inside. Hey, you got to go in here and you got to see Gary. And I said, okay, go right in. But she's right here in Holly Hill too. Yes, she is. That's amazing. Um, she.
1: She has been involved in Fletcher's um, over in Holly Hill. Uh, Missy's a great gal. She's done some amazing things for me personally and professionally. Um, She's uh, just a a tremendous person. There was a time in my life where I was very, very down, and uh, she helped me get the help that I needed to get back up on my feet, and I'll never be able to repay her for that. Um, But she's, she's come aboard with our shop and our brewery, um, she is uh, currently buying into it um, to help us out and to maintain or obtain uh, some ownership in what we do, uh, and she's a very welcome addition to everything that we do.
0: Wow, that's it's an amazingly small area. We're you know friends with uh, Billy over at Fletcher's. If it, in fact, we have company functions over there. We take everyone over and enjoy some of their Guinness beer and stuff. So it's it's really really good to meet you, Gary. I tell you. I, really enriching in more ways than one. Um, let's tell everyone Thank where you're so. located.
1: Uh, we are located at 115 South Magnolia Avenue in Sanford, Florida. We're directly between 1st and 2nd Street on Magnolia, near the Magnolia Square Clock Tower. Um, we operate Wednesday um, through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., our catch-all email address is sanfordhbs at gmail.com. That's Sanford, S-A-N-F-O-R-D, H-B-S, as in Homebrew Shop at gmail.com. And our website is sanfordhomebrewshop.com.
0: Hey, uh, Gary, do you do, do you do any training or anything like that? And I think, you know, I, our friend uh, Jeff Heider over there in DeLand, I mean, do you, do, you tr- do you take people on tours of your facility? Is there something that we can steer people your way?
1: We do classes every uh, Sunday. We oh. do classes on Homebrew 101. We do cheese making classes. We do wine, meat, and cider classes. We do probiotic food classes like I did just this past Sunday. Uh, we helped teach uh, Jeff Heider how to brew years ago. We've taught a lot of the breweries in the area how to brew uh, through our Homebrew 101 classes and uh, subsequent consultations. Um, so we've, you know, we've really been involved in the community uh, for over 15 years, trying to sell the idea of craft beer in the Central Florida area. Um, and we're available for all of that, and even more. You can always come in and just ask us questions.
0: Man, that, that is that is so awesome. I forgot you told me about all these different classes you have. Do you have gift certificates? Can we buy gift certificates?
1: Yes, we have gift certificates that are uh, across the board. You can use them for classes. You can use them for beer. You can use them for homebrew supplies because we are a full-service homebrew supply shop with everything that you need to get started making your own beers at home. Uh, we have our own brewery and tap room uh, where we make the beer professionally and serve it to you uh, fresh across the bar. Um, and it, we teach classes on just about everything. We're expanding our classes in twenty twenty four to involve more beer appreciation, um, more intensive classes in the mashing process and in uh the, the, the finished product itself. Uh we're always available for consultations on breweries, um, beer we're both beer beer judges. Aaron, oh, is an nice. advanced Cicerone, uh, we've got, like, a wealth of knowledge and a great community of other brewers to draw inspiration and knowledge from.
0: Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take a trip over there this weekend. I'll buy some gift certificates. I'm going to send people over. Gary, thanks so much for coming in. This is Gary Holmes, owner of Sanford Home Brew. Gary, thanks for joining us today, man. Have a wonderful weekend.
1: Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate
0: it. Okay, folks, I'm going to sign off for now. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week. Solar Fit Renewable Energy Radio Show, paid for by Solar Fit.